Hey there, special educator. Before we dive into today's episode, I have something exciting to share with you. If you've ever struggled with writing impact statements for your IEPs, and let's be honest here, what special educator hasn't found themselves at some point staring at a blank box and a blinking cursor wondering what in the world to type? My free guide is just what you need to get those brain juices flowing. Introducing Impact Statement Mastery, your step-by-step guide to writing personalized IEPs. This free guide is designed to help you craft impactful, personalized statements with ease. You'll get expert tips and strategies, easy-to-follow formats, and real-life examples that bring theory to life. It's absolutely free and a must-have for every special education teacher and related service provider. To get your copy, just visit www.spedprepacademy.com slash impact statements, or check the link in the episode description. Now let's get started with today's episode. You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Well, hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Sped Prep Academy podcast, and I'm doing a little bit of a dance today. It's happy last week of school for me. I'm guessing the majority of listeners still have at least a little bit of time left during the school year, but where I live, we are calling it a wrap on the 22-23 school year, and the sun has been shining, and it's just everyone has spring fever. It's just, it's time for us all to be done and to regroup and you know, spend time with our friends and our families during the summer and then come back and be ready for another school year. But it can't help but kind of celebrate the end of the year sometimes. Today on the show, we have guest Lily Cornet Cordero from Teach Empowered. With an impressive 19-year career in education, Lily has dedicated herself to making a positive impact in the lives of students. She currently serves as the ELL Equity and Student Support Specialist in Connecticut, and she brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table. Lily's journey in education has been guided by her passion for language and learning. She holds certificates in world language, special education K-12, and administration. She has been instrumental in promoting full inclusion and culturally responsive teaching practices. By equipping educators with the tools and strategies necessary for success, Lily ensures that all students have equitable access to quality education. In today's episode, we dive into Lily's insights and practical tips on how to best scaffold instruction for all students. Her expertise and dedication can be heard as she shares her experiences to empower fellow educators to create inclusive and supportive learning environments. So let's hear from Lily. Well, hey there, Lily. Welcome to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your break to chat with me. Thank you for the invitation. Very happy to be here. Well, before I start bombarding you with questions, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your experience within the field of special education? Of course. Um, I have been in the field of special education, and I'm still in education for about 22 years. I started my career as a special education teacher in the state of Florida, teaching middle school. Um, My specialization was mostly behavioral support, but as we know, there's heavy need and lots of kids. So I've had a caseload to manage of kids with differing abilities and differing needs. Uh, from that middle school time, I was asked to teach high school as well because I was certified K-12 to teach Spanish or world language. 
So I was able to sort of bounce between the two. And at that point, I started doing high school, special education, about 12 years in total between middle school and high school. And I moved to the state of Connecticut after that, where I was asked to teach elementary special education, which was a little bit scary when you're a you know older teacher. But I am thankful for the experience because it allowed me to see the entirety of what teachers do for ranking from K all the way to 12. So right now, 22 years, and I'm currently an administrator in central office supporting uh, special populations and special services, which include special education. Well, that's a, a broad gamut, you know, all across the spectrum. I am also an elementary special education teacher, but I've never gone any higher than sixth grade. So it's kind of interesting to be able to talk to people who have had, um, you know, experience all across the board. So I feel like as special education teachers, you know, we're always on the hunt for ways to improve teaching strategies to be able to reach all learners. And today's topic I guess can be described as a strategy, but it's really more of a process, and that is scaffolding. And I'm so happy that you're here today to discuss the benefits of scaffolding. Now, I always hate to assume that all teachers know what something is, so let's just start off by defining it or giving it, giving the listeners a mental picture of what scaffolding is. So what does scaffolding mean to you? Scaffolding is simply a, a process, and I love being a special education teacher. We use visuals, right? So it is exactly what it sounds like. If you've been to New York City or seen a movie where you see a scaffold, it is something you put in place that will help support to reach something. And this particular case would be the teacher's instruction or where you, where you want the student to get. So scaffold is a process where teachers add supports so that students can, it can help the student master the task that the teacher is, is teaching. Um, and the way that the teacher does that is it's, it's really and honestly knowing your student and knowing where your student is so you can identify that area, that gap, so that you can provide the scaffolds necessary to reach that instruction. I love that you're using your hands to talk. <laughs> you, you know, the listeners can't can't see you, but you're you're demonstrating exactly what scaffolding is. And you gave a good mental picture of, you know, in my brain, I learned scaffolding of, you know, the the physical piece of it, where you are building. I learned that word first before I learned it within the, you know, the field of education. So I'm envisioning a child on that bottom level and, and the teacher on the very top, and she's trying to reach the kid down below. And so I love how you're using your hands to, you know, go from the bottom to the middle to the top. And you, you gave a very good mental picture of that. So what is the difference then between scaffolding and differentiation? So in scaffolding, right, we talked about it is the strategies you put in place to support a student. So to give you a visual of that, before I move on to telling you the difference between that and differentiation, um, one of the websites I, I get my information from gave a perfect example of a kid learning to walk. And scaffolding is sort of what moms do, right, or, or dads or parents, which is providing that support, knowing that the, student, the child can't walk and you provide that support. And first, you just have them feel the, the ground with their toes, and it's mostly them, and then um, they start walking. When we're talking about differentiation, it's something, and you'll hear me talk in general, I know our audience is special education teachers, but I hope and pray that there's some regular ed teachers in here too, because it is a work that is done in tandem, and I hope that everybody's differentiating. And that means you know where your students are starting, what's your baseline, where are they, what did they know, right? To know, again, that gap that we have, and then differentiate our instruction to target their specific level. So scaffolding means now you know, now you know what they need. Do they need a visual aid to be able to write a complete sentence in the case of an elementary student? Differentiation means you're targeting, you're teaching different ways to reach the population that's right in front of you. So from year to year, that differentiation is going to look different based on the student that is sitting right in front of you. And strategies are a part of differentiation. I think that when I had to 
learned that myself as a new teacher, I'm going, it sort of sounds like the same thing. And they're closely related. They're not. Strategies are a part of differentiation. That's how my brain sort of was able to tell the difference between the two. I like that um, visual of a mom helping the, the baby walk. That's a very good mental picture as well. Well, why is scaffolding for our learners important and what kind of benefits are there for um, for putting scaffolding into place? Um, scaffolding is good for all learners and I deal with different subgroups, but specifically for students with special needs um, because we know that oftentimes these students sort of have felt um, not successful in a regular ed environment, right? So they've learned to sort of what we like to call go through the motions. We teach them a formula or wrote, they're doing stuff, but they don't really know why they're doing it They're or actively engaged. So we know that's not learning, right? That is just kind of performing an action for the sake of doing it because you, my teacher, who I like, wants me to do this, but I don't know why, how, or the reason, which means when I walk out of this room, I'm not going to remember and I'm probably not going to be able to explain to my parents or anybody else why I'm doing it, which means it doesn't stay. Um, so what it, what it, scaffolding does is it provides students with a structure that tells them this is how you're going to learn. This is the small piece, like the little pieces or components that we're putting together. And that's how you know at the end that you have learned it so that they will um, connect both what they're doing with the outcome of the, the finished product and the reasons for learning it. Um, so we talked about scaffolding being a process. So what, what does that process look like? It looks different for different people, right? Because uh, it depends where you want to start. But there are components and pieces that should come together to create correct scaffolding. You have to have clear directions. Students need to know what are the steps, like what are we going to do right now, as opposed to just coming in and there's work there. Here's what we're going to start to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how we know it's done or completed right when we're done. Um, clear expectations. Um, having been a special education teacher and behavioral is not just academic expectations, although that's important. But this is how we're going to... Let me give you an example of a an experiment in science, for instance. You know, the teachers come in and they explain, today we're going to do an experiment about X, and you're going to see how X and B combined create a chemical reaction or fill in whatever your experiment is. We're going to do so by, and then it breaks down all those little steps. First, we're going to use these instruments. Then we're going to be very careful, and this is how we're going to handle this. This is our precautionary way of how we're going to do it. You mix, you record. So it's just clear to the student what they're doing from beginning to end. Um, we also want to make sure that although we're supporting and providing that structure, that there's a space for students to do independent thinking, kind of supported. It can be supported with each other, but that they're working in part of the process independently so we can gradually pull some of those scaffolds away. Um, and then that would lead, ideally, to motivation and momentum, because once a student feels successful being able to do something, they can replicate it uh, more individually. And that is when we know they have learned the process, the skill um, or that which we're trying to teach them. So it's an overall process, and then you break it down into different strategies. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so what are those strategies? Um, there are multiple strategies out there. So I'm going to share a couple of them with you. Um, Pre-teaching vocabulary, important. I talked about science, but it's not just in science, right? It can be in any of the subject areas that you teach. It's good for special education students. It's good for your students. It's good for English language learners. Because if we don't know what we're working with or what it means, then we really are not really connecting it to what we're learning. Um, tapping into prior knowledge. I mean, there's different words for it. Currently, the term is culturally responsive teaching. What do the kids bring with them to the table so that we can activate that? And we know learning happens when they can attach new learning to something they already know. Um, something as simple as teaching 
then pausing, asking a question to sort of learn, did the student get it, right? Are they really, we talked about going through the motions, are they really going through the motions? Do they really understand? This is, as teachers, our, our time to be able to go course correct if needed, if our students are short at understanding, do we move on to the next the next phase of what we're teaching? Um, giving students time to talk. In elementary school, I have to I have to interject with a little story here. You're an elementary teacher, but it was very new for me coming from secondary, um, where I made me question why don't we do that for secondary students more? Because I've seen what it does to the littles. Whereas turn and talk and talk to your partner about why we think X, Y, or Z, or why did she do that? What led her to believe? Because I do believe that they listen to each other more, they learn from each other more, and they think deeper when they're allowed to have that conversation without a fear of the right answer that I have to give my teacher, because everybody wants to be right, as opposed to the learning process that happens in there. And I think kids, I think you're right, kids can learn a lot from other kids where, you know, they they might tune out teachers a little bit. And but when they're when they get to be the teacher, when they get to teach another student that skill, that, um, it just they they show a lot of pride in that, and they I feel like they really um, learn it better themselves. They can um, you know soak it in and be able to internalize it a lot better. So I agree with all of those strategies, but that's the one that that really comes to mind that um, I've used that has helped my students. So what are some um, examples of okay, it's a process. You've given strategies. Can you give me some examples of how this all works? How it's all put together? So. I would. I, I love giving real life examples of things we've seen, whether it's something I've done or something I've visited a classroom doing. So I'm going to give you through one of the walkthroughs uh, we have done. And again, I've worked with populations of English language learners, students with disabilities, um, students that are not quite getting the material. And we have to figure out what's the barrier and how to do it. Um, activating prior knowledge is one of those that, that I want to get to, especially when you have different populations. And we know the classrooms today are filled with diverse learners and in all different pods, whether they come from different countries, have different needs. Um, the teacher was doing a lesson and this was a middle school classroom and they were teaching um, about the Wizard of Oz, right? And they were trying to look at different parts of literary, you know, meaning. What, what does it mean to, what do you think they meant when? And as the teacher is talking and they're about to show an episode of Dorothy um, the, in the yellow brick road. I don't know what made this teacher think about asking this question, but I was glad that I was there and she did it. I don't know if she knows her students. She probably realized some confusion. And she said, how many of you know, or have seen the wizard of Oz or know what Dorothy, you know, who's Dorothy and a uh, big majority of her class are students from different areas and different parts, different countries. And about a third of the class raised their hand. And it was great to see her go, okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you a little video of what it is we're going to talk about. So she had to sort of restructure in the moment her lesson, because I believe she understood that if she didn't do that, she can put on a great show for the administrators in the room and just call on, on those kids. But I love that her goal was to make sure her kids understood and that she did in the moment the restructuring she needs to ensure that they knew what it was. And the word also was illusion. What do you think it means when they, what is an illusion and what do you think he meant when he said, and then she had a phrase in there. And I think she got in that particular moment, these students are probably going to guess, they're not going to know. And the whole lesson pretty much is shot. If my goal is for them to understand illusion using the Wizard of Oz, then they, I need to know and make sure that they, that they're familiar with, know and understand the concept behind the whole thing. So for me, it, it, it's a, like a long example, but I love that she 
we can't know it all, right? But that's how you discover those kids that are in front of you. What's your goal in having them learn? And then how do I get them there? How do I bring up? So that was a great example of she noticed, she was like, what do I need to do quickly? And then the scaffolding was let's, let's watch it. Let's make sure you know, let's make sure you know the vocabulary. So she used multiple strategies um, of scaffolding and, and watching it in the moment. No one should be expected to perform that way. And she is a veteran teacher to her credit because some new teachers hang in there. You'll, you'll get there, right? Don't, don't think because you can't do that. Um, it's okay, but it, it was fascinating to see. Some people naturally have it. Some people have built it over time, right? Their toolkit. But that to me was a perfect example of how it happened. We moved on, but I went back to talk to her because I said, what do you think is the difference you've seen with having done this activity or if you think you didn't do this, what would have been it? And I mean, her response was, well, I just knew that they, you'd have like seven of 18 that would probably get something half of it. Uh, but I, my goal was for them to get it all. And I just knew she was there for kids. It was just a great thing to watch. That's funny that you picked Wizard of Oz because that teaching in Kansas, of course, the majority of our students know what that is. And so I, it's interesting throughout the country where there's different pockets of who might know something like that. So on that, back to that visual, on that scaffolding, then you can, you can totally just start plugging those kids in. You've got those seven who are up there on the, on the level just below the teacher. And then you've got some that maybe are in the middle and then you've got a whole bunch that are down there on that bottom level. And so she had to show that video and show that or make that connection with the kids so that they could start to move up on the scaffolding so that they could get up there with the with their peers. So totally, I understand exactly what you're saying. So what are some challenges when um, that teachers are going to face when trying to scaffold their instruction? I know that you said that for new teachers, it's more difficult than seasoned teachers, but overall, it's, it's not always an easy process, I don't think. So what are some challenges that teachers are going to see? Um, first and foremost, what every teacher will tell you, and it's time, right? Time to uh, think about what the lesson is, think about your learners, think about prepping the lesson, think about scaffolding strategies that fill, fit into that lesson um, to differentiate your instruction. Time to collaborate, finding time. Because again, we talked about, um, we have different special education teacher types, if you will. You have full inclusion that do collaboration. You have students that are in your small uh, cl classes or classrooms. You also have uh, the self-contained where the teachers teach all the time, um, but also finding planning time, right? It's time to collaborate with your regular ed peer, whether you want to get instruction along the same lines to make sure you're doing the same thing. So you just need to scaffold a little bit more for the students that you have or support teachers in adding scaffolding into their instruction in the regular ed classroom. But either way, it, it's time, right? We all need a little bit more time all the time. Um, additionally, time in your track in your career to build that toolkit to know. Right? You can't know every single student. Every student that's in front of you is different. And the strategies that will work for them are different. So I also caution teachers, sometimes they have the toolkits of strategies. They just throw them like Frisbees. <laughs> like, I'm going to just put the strategy in. And it's like, it's important to know who do you have and how do they learn best to know which strategy to pull out at what time. Um, identifying the student level or um, proximal level of development, like where are they? What do I need to give them? That also comes with time and knowing what those stages are to know closer to where, again, time for you to develop yourself. Um, and then also, I think um, figuring out when students are ready to be independent. Sometimes we put strategies in place, we build them into lesson plans, and so they stay there forever. And then the students become used to that strategy and without it, right? So I, I call it learned helplessness. 
they're like, oh, but you didn't give me that sheet. And we're like, okay, but what do we do with the sheet, honey? And like, how do you, and they're like, oh, so it's fading, putting an additional plan to fade the scaffold so that the student can see, oh, I can do it on my own. These are the three things I need to do. So like we do, like I, I do, we do, do, you do, you do that gradual release of, um, of instruction for students. Well, Lily, I am so glad that you were able to join me for an episode. I can tell that you're very knowledgeable about special education, and I'm sure that the listeners will be able to take your knowledge about scaffolding and incorporate it into their toolbox, I guess, um, within their own classroom. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Well, thank you so much for the invite. Um, always happy to come in and you know, as a teacher, this is something you feel and we love our students. So it is more than just a profession. It is indeed a passion. So thank you for reaching out and thank you for having me on your podcast. You're welcome. Well, can you tell us how we can find you on social media so we can learn more from you? Um, there's a Facebook page and also an Instagram page and it's called Teach Empower. Um, my goal is to support teachers and empower them at a time. It began during the pandemic at the time where teaching was rough for all of us. And it began with my coworkers feeling at the time I was in the classroom like one more thing. And I just saw so many good teachers, people that would be ashamed to, to lose in the profession because I knew how invested they were in their kids. So it began as a way of saying, you got what it takes, not the toxic positivity part, like, hey, we got this and let's go. But like really and truly, what you're doing every day matters. Although the pressures are there, continue to do what you're doing day in and day out because you will improve. Uh, don't just focus on those things that you feel like you're not doing. So if you want some positivity, some knowledge, um, working with specialized populations, so there'll be things about SPED, English language learners, culturally responsive education, and how do we remove barriers in general for any student um, to ensure that they have access and opportunities that everybody else has. So come on over and visit and check it out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again. And I appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with me until the end. I can tell that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am. If you liked what you heard today, I'd love it if you'd head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.